Great DJs deserve great music. That's why here at Desi BPM, we're giving professional DJs access to the first ever online DJ pool exclusively for Desi Music. Register your interest now and receive your first three months free at desibpm.com. Hi, I'm Chunt, and I'm a DJ. And I'm Mac, and I'm his MC. Mic check, one, two, one, two. We're just two northern lads who love music and good conversation. And this is our podcast, Roots and Rhymes. Welcome to another edition of the Music Interview Podcast, where we feature children of South Asian immigrants we like to call our guests. This is Roots and Rhymes, and I'm your host, Chunt. And I'm his partner in crime, Mac. And we are proud to be doing it for the culture and bringing you more of that good ear candy. This week, we're speaking to long-term BBC radio personality, hip-hop head, and one half of the former most iconic British radio duo, Nahal. We talk about his trailblazing history and a journey that's led to phenomenal mainstream success. If you'd like to see us living our best life, at us on the socials, at Roots and Rhymes. Or if you'd just like to listen to us, then subscribe, download, and don't forget to rate and review. So Mac, how you been living your best lockdown life? Man, it's like Groundhog Day a little bit, Chuns. You know, you know how it is. It? I ain't seen a pair of jeans for about a year now. Uh, <laughs> man, Honestly, I, the only things that I've bought in the last six months are joggers and yeah. hoodies. And and you know what? I don't even know how I'm gonna put on something that isn't made from cotton anymore, man. Like if it's not made from cotton, I'm wearing it no more. It needs some give, man. It's just the. Uh, you know, lounging wear is the thing right now. I don't know what's going to happen in June and I'm out in the streets. You're going to just see me in Adidas tracksuit bottoms all the time. It is going to be a bit like that. I, don't, I wouldn't even know how to act. Like when it comes to <laughs> actually being able to go out, I'm going to be like, um, should we really be talking? Should I stand away from you? Just, I don't know. Maybe new, I'll just stay indoors. A whole indoors. new level of social anxiety is about to be unleashed into the world. It man. is, man. I, I, there's something serious in that as well, man. But it's been crazy, right? But... You know what? It is what it is. We uh, we we move and we uh, and we try and get through it. And June the twenty first, after that, hopefully we get back on live sets as well. That's going to be great. Oh, man, I can't wait to MC and not look into a screen when I'm MCing and trying to visualize a crowd and actually have somewhere. <laughs> I'm just going to be shouting everyone. I'm like, oh my god, there's real people out there. <laughs> It is going to be crazy. Imagine that first that first tune played. You know what I'm looking forward to, Chuns? The first reload. The first re-up, man, where I'm like, Chuns, reload. And that scream from the crowd when that, whatever tune it is, that reloads and we're live on set, then I'll know, like, we're home. We're home. We're, home. we're back. We're back. Exactly. Roots and Rhymes. On today's episode... We play host to one of the most articulate broadcasters that ever graced the airwaves. While staying true to his culture, he's pursued his career as a hip-hop artist, then providing the ultimate platform for other South Asians in music from around the globe. He went on to spend most of his lunch times as a neutral voice for cultural-led debates. Now he's spending them neutralising racists and anti-vaxxers. But he still, and always will be, doing it for the culture. It's Nahal. Welcome Nahal. Welcome Nahal. Oh. Oh, oh, <laughs> come on. Jeez. People are going to think like, I wrote that. They're going to be like, hey, well, you, you mean, that you mean I didn't re- read it off the email that you sent me, no? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> with, um, with the subject heading, gas me up. 
Yeah, absolutely. You missed, out, you, missed out the, uh, you missed out the really good-looking, charismatic chance. <laughs> yeah, why did you edit those bits <laughs> yeah. out that I wrote? I, I, didn't want you to take my, I didn't want you to take my thunder, to be honest. It's outrageous. <laughs> you're young brothers, man. You're young brothers. <laughs> no respect for we're us still, OGs. We're still, we're, still learning, we're still learning the trade now. I'll give us, give us some grace. <laughs> no, man, you guys hustling, are hustling. No, welcome, Nahal. Yeah, thank welcome, you. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I, I just want to firstly ask you, before we, we start absolutely everything, um, are you, are you still feeling the effects of being blamed by your son at the disappointment of being a Spurs fan? I, I wanted to know this too. It's, um, the struggle is real. That's all I'm saying. The struggle <laughs> it, it is, is real, moment, isn't it? You know, Dory, you could be a Liverpool fan like me. That's even worse, I think. No, but we, listen, you won the Champions League. I know that for a fact. And <laughs> uh, you've won the Premier League, right? In like record time. Yeah. We've done neither of those things. So you're having a dip at the moment and you've got, some of your best players out and obviously terrible mm. thing happened to Jurgen Klopp's family with his mm. mother. Yeah, so you yeah, can kind of understand why he is perhaps going through something and the team mm. is going through something, right? You can understand that, right? Mm. Us, we don't have any of that. We don't have any of that. We're just nah. in some weird place, you know, in some really yeah. weird place. But do you know what? Weirdly enough, I'm really looking forward to Spurs playing now because, because Gareth Bale, even though we lost to West Ham, when he came mm. on, he he changed it. Like it, yeah, he yeah. just suddenly started came, came being to life. creative. Yeah, hundred percent. And he was really good the other night. Fair enough. It was against the fifth best team in Austria, so <laughs> not something. Not something I'm <laughs> genuinely overly impressed by. But <laughs> it's good to watch. It's it's, good yeah, watching. you know, it's good to watch. He scored an absolute screamer, which no goalkeeper could have saved. Right. Mm. And um, and Dele Alli, me of the Champions League final before that. Yeah, as well, Real Madrid against Yeah, those. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Deli Ali scored a goal like Gareth Bale did in that Champions League. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, so it right. was, uh, so look, it, listen, at least Arsenal are rubbish as well. So, well, like, if Arsenal were top, if you. it was Arsenal that were top would, and, and, and we were doing this, oh, but I've been there, right? I'm old enough. See, my son doesn't know anything, right? Little shit, right? <laughs> he, he don't know about one day Ramos. <laughs> and all that stuff that we had to go through, the, right? The painful years. Yeah. He don't know about us being no. bang average and Arsenal having the, you know, that invincible season, right? He doesn't know mm. about that. Mm. He doesn't know about any of that. Rewind. Let's take it back. Know your roots. So, Nahal, born in the 70s to Sri Lankan Buddhist parents, would you say your upbringing your upbringing was quite conservative with regard to exploring popular culture or more specifically music. No, it was super liberal, super liberal. Mm -hmm. I mean, my parents moved to a village in Essex where there were no other Asian people. We weren't in Starfall mm. or Handsworth or one of those places. Yeah. So we, my dad wasn't trying to recreate Sri Lanka in the UK. Mm. Yeah. He wasn't trying to do that. Mm -hmm. So we grew up very much, I think assimilated more than integrated in that respect. Yeah. Um, we didn't go to temple that often. We ate Sri Lankan food. Mm. Um, my father never really spoke Sinhalese in the house at all. So there was no, yeah. so I don't speak Sinhalese. Like I understand mm. bits of it, but I don't speak it. We didn't grow up with that. So it was a, it was a, it was an interesting childhood. I think I became yeah. much more, keen about my Sri Lankanness when I got older. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something mm. that 
I think, to be honest, being a little brown boy in a, in a white area in the early 80s, bro, I was just trying to survive. Yeah. Like, I was, mm. just, I was just trying to not be a victim. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I was just trying to either fit in or I learned pretty early on that if, you, if it was possible to do so, you just had to fight. Like, mm-hmm. if someone was going to call you a packy, you just have mm-hmm. to punch them, unless they were, yeah. like, a massive unit. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, if they yeah. were a massive unit, then you'd just have a crew with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So I learned that early on. So, you know, I wasn't busy trying to be all desi. I was busy mm-hmm. trying to not mm-hmm. be a victim because yeah, I was one of victim, about yeah. 10 brown kids in a school of 1,000-plus kids. Right? Mm-hmm. So I couldn't, I wasn't going to go and hang out with the Sri Lankan crew at lunchtime because yeah, it was me. Yeah. yeah. That was it. Right? <laughs> one man crew. Yeah. It was a, literally a one man crew. It wasn't mm. another Sri Lankan. There were another couple of Asians and one of them was cool, but not really a fighter. I think I was the only one really that was kind of willing to have a tear up. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any other Asian kids that I was at school with that was willing to have a terror was it was it you know we know what racism is like the younger generation know what it's like nowadays because we have to face it but back then how how relentless was that racism being born in a in, a, in an area where it's predominant you're you're definitely the minority i mean we, we all are ethnic minorities but you're the minority because you're one person almost in a, in a town full of there's no other big culture around you to kind of lean on what, what was that like do you know what the timing of it was was good in the sense that when I got to 13, which was in 1984, hip-hop culture, even maybe a bit younger than that, hip-hop culture came in, mm. which meant that it went from being all white music, all white things, mm. to being having melanin was cool. Yeah. Like every suddenly all the cultural icons became rappers and break dancers yeah. and graffiti yeah. artists and DJs from America mm. and they were all black and brown skinned. Mm. So suddenly you had a bit. So I made friends with the black kids, like the black kids and the brown kids kind of came together to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah. Um, for protection. And, and then the white kids all wanted to break dance and the white kids wanted to rap. And so it suddenly broke down a lot of those barriers. We became mm. quite multicultural in that respect. So it wasn't as if, you know, I don't remember. I don't remember my teen years being full of looking over my shoulder, being chased, being called a packy. Cause I had a big crew. Like I had a, mm-hmm. I knew a lot of people around town mm. and, and, and some of them were a bit, were lively. Right. So mm. I could walk around in crews and apart from a few individuals who were absolute nutters, like big mm. crazies, who were super racist. One of them I remember, but he, you know, he ended up dying of a heroin overdose, like a very, very sad life mm. he had. But him and his brothers were, were Romans, like mm. absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. crazies. They get like mm. they'll just catch you looking at them and they'll bang you out. <laughs> you know, apart from those right. kind of guys, I had a crew, like I had several crews in different parts of the town, and I could I could I could go to different areas and yeah, kind yeah. of be all right. There were certain estates I couldn't walk into but yeah i was good i was good because hip-hop culture brought us all together from different parts of the Mm. town so it meant that you had that little crew 
and I could yeah, rap. So, so you know, yeah. it, that 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 meant that I had a shortcut to being mm. cool. I went from being this this skinny brown kid with glasses mm. who could, you know, who'd set it very clearly on that, you know, I didn't I didn't want to be a victim to mm. being this kid that could rap. So suddenly, yeah. suddenly I want to, I, I want you to be my crew. I want you to be my crew. I want you to be, suddenly it was like, wow, I'm, 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 I found a tribe yeah. the first mm. time in my life. And that tribe wasn't to do with Sri Lanka or Buddhism or brown skin. It was to do with hip hop. That's why yeah. I've got, ta- that's why I've got hip hop tattooed on my arm. Mm. I've got hip hop tattooed. Literally I've got a tattoo that big wow. yeah, yeah, my yeah. Arm because hip hop means everything to me. You know? So would you say your your circumstances around school and the environment that you were in was part of the reason why you discovered hip hop and 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 got into hip hop because that kind of brought you guys together and it kind of almost gave you a a safety blanket or a, some kind of bubble that you could belong in and and be a part of. Yeah, I, you know, it didn't work round that way. It wasn't that I was looking for protection of a tribe and I found hip hop. I found hip hop mm. and it ended up becoming that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think your way. point, Nahal, about hip hop culture and what it did, and later on down the line, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but hip hop culture kind of made it almost acceptable to have brown skin. Like you say, melanin became cool at that point. And I think that um, a lot of the times, the, you know, where there wasn't a precedent set in terms of it's okay to be brown hip hop culture actually allowed people of brown skin of dark skin to say it's actually acceptable to be like me and to do what I want to do because this is now accepted in a mainstream whereas pre- previous to that it really wasn't and so gaining acceptance in a in a society where it's seen you're seen as lower class by default is a is a huge milestone and I I'm with you hip hop culture definitely uh, brought that through for but all the ethnic minorities with with brown skin, it was a it was our gateway to acceptance. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. You know, I didn't grow up going to Bhangra daytimes, mm. right? I was my my family are not Punjabi, so they're not listening to Bhangra. Mm. Sri Lankans don't listen to Bhangra, mm. and Bollywood wasn't in our house either. I mean, um, I guess Asha Bosley was. Um, my dad had CDs. But it wasn't like, and, and Ravi Shankarji was as well. Yeah. But yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't that. So we had hip hop. You know, it was hip hop. It was yeah. rap music. It was DJing. It was yeah. break dancing. It was graffiti art. It was all of that. You know, and that very much us- the culture of the time, really, wasn't it? Like you yeah, say, it was in uh, the eighties. Very 100%. much coming through. Yeah, hundred percent. It was coming through. So, so now across the pond. So now, you young brothers, the way you look from wearing hoodies to the caps to everything is hip hop. Mm. Right? It's, it's, it's just straight hip hop. Yeah. That's why me, I'm 50 this year, but I'm still rocking Air Force Ones. Like, I'll never yeah, stop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, never yeah. stop. That's why I look at some people my age and I'm like, what happened to you, man? Yeah, yeah. Why are you yeah. dressing like that? Right. When you start so wearing I mean, hush puppies and nice Yeah, sketches. like them ones. But, you know, Jay Z's older than me. Look at Jay Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you look at these guys and you're like, yeah, that's who I like. Chuck D from Public Enemy. Like, I yeah. look at those guys. Mm. I'm like, I'm not trying to be you. I'm not trying to go in Marks and Spencers and dress all like that. Yeah, That's not my absolutely. vibe. So, hey, look at Grandmaster Flash and people like that. They still, wear, they still wear caps and all that kind of That's thing. What I'm they're saying. all, but people they're all still going, rocking the same stuff. I was wearing an NWA hoodie and one of the school dads was like, oh, look at you trying to be all young. I was like, well, yeah. whoa, 
NWS my era. Yeah, that's true. It's true. It's absolutely. Like, like when people wear Nirvana t-shirts, it's like yeah. same, same, same. Like, well, no, that's so the different? thing. That's the thing. Yeah. If you see, it's like uh, if you're if you're telling me as a 25 year old that I shouldn't be wearing an NWA top, for instance, it's like you shouldn't be anywhere near it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah I, I was yeah. there when that album came out. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, straight out of Compton. Yeah. So you know, I was listening exactly. To that music. They only know the film. You, yeah, you actually, you actually saw yeah. it live. Yeah, we see it. We saw it. Um, you know, it changed my. Geez, when I first heard Straight Out of Compton, I was just like, "What the? F- can can yeah. we swear on this? Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. Can, man. Uh, what yeah. the fuck is that? Like, I, I was just like, this is insane. Yeah, the energy, the power, the mm. the aggression. It was mad. It was it changed the game. Changed the game when when NWA came out. So yeah, so I'm still I'm still on that. Like the other day I was wearing an orange hoodie and these Air Force One boots which have got orange on them. Mm. Because everything has to coordinate. Yeah, that's another hip hop thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't coordinate. Yeah, everything's got to coordinate. That's it's it's inbuilt into me. Another thing is you can't wear mixed sportswear. If I see you wearing an Adidas tracksuit, this is Nike trainers. That's dead. It's over. I can't wear my Adidas trackies. You got to have trainers. It just doesn't happen. You got to have that Adidas bucket hat. The Adidas tra- tracksuit and the and the superstars and yeah, then the superstars and, and then, then your set and and then some lino yeah. to go breaking on. <laughs> yeah, that's what you got Just to take do. that around with you. So there's certain. So yeah, it, in invent. your teen years, then the whole yeah. Obviously, your love for rap and hip hop, we we can definitely see that that we uh, that was coming through, and you adopted that while you was in school. Um, so at what age did you adopt the earliest MC Crazy A? Uh, I would have been. 15, 16, about 15, 16. Cause I think so was that just like from freestyling on the streets and, and just yeah, kind of yeah. with, your, with your mates yeah. and kind of developing it, your flow and your style? So it's so old school, isn't it? Because crazy spelled K-R-A-Z-E, right? Which is so old school, right? And A, like rappers always had their initial, you know, before Styles P and all that, people just did those kinds of things. So, so yeah. Yeah, I just you just adopted that because I got in a crew with DJ Colt Forty Five and mm. the Vickers, and we called it the Muddy Funksters. But yep. before that, it was just Colt and me. Colt was my DJ. Yeah, and we just came together, and I think we put into the music out in like eighty seven. Eighty seven, hardcore yeah. one. Yeah. So I was 16 years old, you know. Mad. That's why these, you know, that's why, because now I'm on Five Live, we're jumping forward it, but sometimes when we've got a rapper on or something and I'm talking to him in a certain way about certain things and when it when I first started at Five Live, you'd have people tweeting like middle-aged men just going, why are you pretending to know about this stuff and <laughs> it's so cringy and all this and you're like, you don't know about me. You don't know about me, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> don't know about me just because I'm all Mr. Mainstream now don't Mm -hmm. think I don't know where this comes from this culture comes from and the thing is when I joined Radio 1 with Bobby Bobby kind of bought the more Bhangra EDM side of it but I bought the Urban Flex because Mm. Asian kids love hip hop and R&B right 
Sounds, sounds familiar, Chuns. Yeah, it does sound familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it right. Basically, the dynamic between me and Chuns is like I'm, I'm definitely more hip hop. I've been, I was brought up with hip hop, nowhere near Bhangra, nowhere near Bollywood. Right. So, and Chuns is able to, you know, he he has a lot more of a, that kind of influence than than I do, and so we definitely understand that balance because yeah, when you combine those two forces, you really mm. get a feel for. Yeah, you for do. The, for the culture Well, and look stuff, at but... um, um, Sidhu Musawala now, right? Yeah. Where would Sidhu's tracks be without hip-hop? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Right? You know what? You know what I, Steel Bangles in... helped it cross It's, it's massive. Yeah. And you know what I like, Nahal, is that the way we're talking about hip-hop is we're not talking about a musical genre, which I think a lot of people get confused by. They think hip-hop, music, it's not music, it's a culture. And I yeah. think that unless you 100%. understand that it's a culture, 100%. you don't get it because it's not a type of music. For me, hip hop in my life is not, I like rap music. It's no, it's, that's the culture that I identify with. That's the culture that makes me feel home. And mm. that's so much more than mu- pe- like people need True. to stop thinking of hip hop as a jo- genre of music. It's yeah. Not. Yeah. I hate it when they say that. Yeah. I hate that when they say, yeah, yeah. Is it, is it a hip hop album? Yeah. And you're like, no, listen, understand it's a rap album. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. that, which is one pillar of hip hop culture, you know, because the thing is, is trainer culture, mm. you know, is hip hop. No yeah. question. It is. Oh, yeah. 100%. Look yeah, at the, is. look at the, the, the styling on roots and rhymes. Even that, so it's, well, mm-hmm. all of that is hip hop, right? Even yeah. though it's got the Hindi writing, the way that it's done yeah. and everything, hip hop typefaces, hip hop is, it, it just influences so much. It influences mm-hmm. so much of my attitude to life. I wouldn't yeah. be on five live. There's no question I would be anything that i am today without hip-hop culture no question absolutely i just want to we we will talk about that in in a second now but i I just want to go back to you know we was talking about the fusion of of how um you identify with hip-hop culture and obviously mac saying myself and uh and mac kind of adopt both sides and that's how roots and rhymes work i just want to take it back a step to hardcore one the lp that you featured on um that was under bpm records so Obviously, your track was on there, fantastic into the music, which which was a great opportunity. You you kind of um, took it by the scruff of the neck when you were sixteen years old. You did a great job on it. But I just want to highlight another song that was on that LP, um, on the B side, oh, yeah, um, okay. called "Funky Asian" yeah. by uh, Joy Bungla Sound. These, these are Bradford-born duos. Myself and Mac are born in Bradford, um, who then moved to the east side of London. It was funny because that being on the same LP as yourself. And being similar type of music that you then pursued later on in your career with the Bobby Friction Nahal show and the kind of work that you were pursuing there. Tell us about that period and and how how you reacted to that kind of kind of music and what your feelings were when it were appeared on that LP. Well, I'm gonna be real with you. I don't even remember that song. But I was not aware that there were any other Asians doing what I was doing. Now, every time I went to a Westwood Jam or DJ 279, I didn't see any other Asians, like maybe one or two, and they were from London. Mm. But I I wasn't aware, really, of any other Asian MCs back then. And there were, obviously, but we weren't connecting because we didn't have Twitter or SoundCloud or no way of connecting with each other. In fact, we didn't have mobile phones, right? Mm -hmm. So there was no way of us connecting. And I used to go... Back in the days, on a Saturday, the kind of hip-hop community in London would meet up in Covent Garden. I'd get a train up from Essex. Mm. 
and writers and MCs and DJs would all compare graffiti notes and and um, I don't really remember seeing that many other Asians. It was kind of I'll weird. Be honest, it surprised me seeing seeing their name on on that LP yeah. as well. Yeah, it I was, did, you know I was what? like, hang on a sec, who who are these guys mm. um, with and with this funky kind of name, Joy Bungla Sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounded yeah. like I it, haven't even it heard must that be track. ethnic. Is it good? But that track, it's amazing. It's Is amazing. It? It's 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 some of the stuff we're used to seeing. Ten years after that, yeah. oh wow! And listening ten years after that, it wow. it very much has that vibe, like like um, like your your fundamental kind of mm. stuff. Who you worked with later on, or almost mm. ten years later, I think, yeah. uh, as well. So it was it was surprising to see that on the B side. I just thought that maybe you were aware of it, and it kind of did it have almost an impression on you. But like you say, you wasn't even aware, which is a story in itself, I guess. Well, uh, yeah, I wasn't really aware. We were just in our own lane. Look, man, we were 16, right? Yeah, yeah. Kids. Yeah. You know, we're kids. We have to get a, we either have to scrounge money to get a train up to London or we're jumping mm. the turnstiles trying to get, you know, uh, through without getting caught. Yeah. Maybe sometimes we're going in and stealing pens or coming <laughs> from, from, art, from art shops to do graph. You know, it's, we were just kids, you know, we just yeah. kids. We weren't aware. I wasn't aware of an Asian scene. I became aware of an Asian scene as such much later on when mm. I worked for Outcast Records. Before that, yeah. I wasn't really, because I thought it was weird. Like, you'd see, like, I was aware of Apache Indian. But I that think was, a lot of people were around that era. Yeah, mm. but that wasn't really for me either because mm-hmm. I rated, I rate him now, but to be real, back then, I was listening to Dancehall, Supercat, and the same kind of stuff he was looking at, and I kind of couldn't, for me, seeing an Asian guy doing that didn't feel real to me Mm -hmm. back then. Yeah. Back then. But it's only really since that I've learned kind of what a cultural force that was for Asians. But I wasn't in that lane. I was with black kids. Mm. I was with the black I, I, kids. I wasn't with the you're Asian not the only kids. one there, Nahal. We we interviewed uh, Rackstar as well, and he said the exact same thing. He he, he didn't realise how much of an impression that that Apache had at, at that time until later on in his life that mm. he actually appreciated what he was doing. It's the same with me. I look back at some of the interviews that he was on on TV. I'm thinking, wow, he actually did a lot for the scene. Oh, we had a show on radio well one ahead before. Of the curve. We had a show on Radio 1 before Bobby and me. It didn't yeah. last very long. I don't know how long it lasted, a year or something. But mm. he had a show, an Asian beat show, I think, on Radio 1 before Bobby and I did. Right. You know. It's crazy. It's, yeah. It is crazy. And obviously you you then gained popularity on the hip-hop scene and you became, you, you said you, the Muddy Funksters and you released an EP and a, and a single with them as well. And I think briefly you, uh, you were part of Collapsed Lung mm. as well, a, a, a band. Yeah. Tell us about that period of time and how that progressed into you collaborating with the likes of Fundamental as well and and even um, Sona Family and, and Sanj and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that period is, is kind of weird. I, I signed a record deal with Collapse Lung first mm. and we became this, like overnight, it just blew up. Yeah. NME loved us. 
which meant the Melody Maker hated us. Joe Wiley <laughs> played us on Radio 1. Steve Lamack played us on Radio 1. It was mad. Like, suddenly it just became... We, we, we did a gig and, like, 40 or 50 record company people turned up. Wow. Wow. To come and see us. It was crazy. Like, it was one of those mad, mad things. And in the end, even though we were being offered deals from different major labels, we went with a small independent. Mm-hmm. And then... And then uh, a label called Go Discs kind of approached me and said, look, we really want to sign you. And I wasn't yeah. really collapsed lung thing. I did the first two singles. And then they had a massive hit after I left with the song called <laughs> Eat My Goal, which was, yeah. you know, obviously a really hard time for me. Yeah. So it was like yeah. suddenly like, shit, you know, I've left this band and they've just had this yeah. massive hit record. Mm. Um which people still know about today. You know, yeah, they always yeah. go, oh, Claps Lung, eat my goal. Was that you? And I was yeah, like, no, yeah. that wasn't me. I <laughs> no. left before that. Sorry. <laughs> I left um, just yeah, that. Typical, typical. <laughs> so I did that and then I left them and then went back to my original crew, which was the Muddy Funksters, yeah. which was Colt, me and, and Vickers, the Vickers. Mm. So the three of us kind of came back together again, formed a crew, made an EP, got a little bit of press, da 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 but it all went wrong and we got dropped. And then suddenly I was like, this isn't a career. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no career. There's no future in being a British MC mm. right back then, which is a mad thing to say now. Grind, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But back then in the nineties, no one wanted to hear British MCs really. The grind just- was different back then. It was so, it's so much harder. Like now, like you say, what 50, 50 industry execs came and saw your show. You don't get that. It's whether, whether you've got a big Instagram following and they managed yeah, to come it's across all that. It's all that. And then they check your yeah. SoundCloud. It's, a, it's completely, it's completely different. It's, as Max says constantly, it's infinitely difficult, more difficult mm. than it, than it is now. Uh, yeah. And I think, it, trying to be recognized. But then saying that everyone wants to hear British accents now. Yeah. Mm. Whereas no one did then. No one, no, no one right? did back then. No if you wrapped ever- in a British accent, then it was yeah. definitely like, "What the hell are you doing?" Yeah, you're supposed to sound American if you rap like that. Wasn't a thing. There was no real scene, was there? Of it's cool to be it a British rapper. It was so rapper. small. The scene yeah. was small. I mean, you're talking about crews like uh, Gunshot, Demon Boys, London Posse, mm. Hijack, Son of Noise. Like, there's all these kinds of British hip hop groups. MC Mellow, Black Twang. There's a lot of... Um, Which sadly, late- a lot of the people listening to this podcast what actually would have heard of. Yeah. No, of course they, they wouldn't have heard done. of it. And, and no. that's so unfortunate. No, you'd have to be a real head. You have to, yeah. Yeah, you to, have to, to know, know your stuff inside know out. Know your yeah. stuff mm. to know about those kind of artists, to be honest. And there was an Asian crew called Caliphs from Bradford. Oh, really? Yeah. Caliphs were uh-huh. big. Yeah, Caliphs, mm. they had a thing going on because they got signed to a major. Um, and they were good. They were really, really good. But it was, it, it just wasn't. And then there was, was Asian real Dub underground. Yeah. yeah. Well, Asian Dub Foundation were massive, weren't they? Yeah. So they went on to be it huge. was, it was, it was difficult. It was really, really. And I just looked at it and I've done this at every stage of my career successfully. And now I'm into the kind of probably the last big chapter of my radio career. I can look back and go, okay, at a pivotal moment, I said, I need to switch it up because this isn't going anywhere. And, and so far, touch wood, every time it's led to a, uh, a more elevated state of where I need to be. Yeah. So 
So I think I think what's important there is when you said that you you found that there was really no career in becoming a British MC. So you did switch it up. That's when you that's when you um, you took the job at Outcast Records, um, and you and you promoted albums by Bud Marsh and Shiri or Nit and Sony himself, um, and you even worked I think with with Most F uh, and Elton John as well promoting music. Um, so we've seen you go from performing to promotion and that transition as to why you did it, but then how did the transition come from promotion into broadcasting and journalism? Well, uh, a chap called Shabs, Joban Putra, who is the most unbelievable music executive. So he was the former Mm. managing director of Virgin Records. He owns Outcast Records. He now owns yeah. Relentless Records, which is called Home, home oh, to wow, Heady wow. One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. he signed Heady One, uh, Tom Walker. I think, did he put a nines, nine signed to him as well, Relentless? He also was responsible for So Solid Crew. Yeah. Uh, Relentless huge. I mean, in, yeah. in the day, they also had Jay Sean and Rich Rich yes, Project as well. Exactly, were, yeah. right? So he's, he's the owner of that, right? So he mm. was the first guy to give me a job in the music industry. First one to believe in me. And it was another Asian, right? That did that for another Asian. So, um, and we're still friends to this day. And I, I, I now do some work with Relentless Records um, on a consultancy basis. So mm. it was, uh, making that transition was, was kind of interesting because it meant that I could stay close to music. But I'm always really interested, and this is what, not enough of the current crop of DJs are interested in enough is the industry, how yeah. the industry works. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you, in order to be a successful DJ, you have to understand the industry. You have to understand how it works. Absolutely. And you also have to understand this, that it isn't about you, right? It's about the artists. Mm-hmm. You are never as a DJ bigger than an artist, no. ever. Yeah. yeah. Right? Because without their creativity, you're nothing. Mm. But I think some DJs get a bit too gassed up on the fact that they've got lots of people giving them music and, and kissing their ass and they think they're important. Yeah, yeah. Right? You're not important. The artist well, is we, important. We, we heard this from, um, you know, for Rishi Rich when we had him on the, on the uh, season one. He said with 2.9, it was a, a very similar thing. He was never, he was just a producer to an extent. And he couldn't potentially, he didn't DJ, he didn't bring in big shows and stuff because he was just a producer. And he felt that they were maybe giving more attention and more love potentially to to the, the singers and the artists under under 2.9. And that's that's why he took the decision to to uh, to go... Uh, off in his own direction and set up his own label. So it's it's funny that you do say that. I mean, obviously that's that that's obviously been felt by a lot of the people within the British Asian industry as I well. Think, I, I think though that you have to also give. See, I don't distinguish between the artist and the producer. I think the producer mm-hmm. is an artist. Yeah, so for me, yeah. for me, Jay Shorten is no more or less important than Rishi. Yeah, and right. you know, Sidhu is no more or less important than Steel Bangles. Mm. You know. I, I did what I mean, I guess, by the artist is the creative force. Right. Yeah. You know, DJs are shop windows. Yeah. That's what we are. Yeah. Right. We're not, 
we're not making the garments, right? We're not making the Moncler jackets that sit in the no. in the shop window, right? We're just the shop window. And yeah. I think sometimes DJs have to be a little bit humble about yeah. about what they're actually doing. Yeah. Because I, I get complaints all the time about this. And I'd like to think I've had the same mobile number since 1996, right? <laughs> I've never changed it. Some DJs same email address as well, I think, yeah, when it looks like I it. know, right? <laughs> so true. Such an old school email address <laughs> from the 90s. And I think one of the things about that is that in all of that time, I was at Radio 1 for 12 years. No Asian has mm. ever been at Radio 1 the length that I've been there, right? No. And probably never will be. And the fact I didn't have to change my number is because I was always straight with people, mm. right? People may not like what I said to them, but they mm. at least respected the fact that I would tell them what Don't I felt. Yeah, yeah, right? And for that, re- for that reason, in 25 years, I've had two crank calls, like two calls that people were trying to be stupid with wow. in 25 years. Right? And I think that's just a testament. Where I've seen people change their mobile numbers, mm. they've had to change their numbers because they've given it out to too many people and da-da-da, mm. they're getting calls and people are rah rah rahing them. I'm not that guy. Like, I, I just no, no. think that, I put a lot in. So even if you, even today you see artists like Sparkerman, Sparkerman, I was the first one to support those guys, give them national radio mm. platform. Missed. First radio interview Missed ever did was on my Asian network show. Mm. You know, wow. it goes way back. I saw gigs a couple of years ago backstage at his show in Manchester. He got up from where he was sitting and came and opened personally the VIP bit, the rope to ask my wife and I to come in because he knows that I was with him supporting him from early when he couldn't even do shows when the police wouldn't allow him to do shows so you've got to put in and stay humble and the Mm. reason but you also have to big up yourself right like you you don't walk around like that like 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 not looking at people and being all (laughs) you know you you are a personality right I'm not saying that I walked around acting like Gandhiji I wasn't doing Mm -hmm. that but but what barefooted? No, yeah, exactly. It's, it's good, sandals not a good look for your hip hop style, man. No, it's not. You can't really do it. Can't do it. People are trying to do the sliders thing. No, yeah. no, no. I'm not on this that either. Hip hip hop Gandhi. Sliders. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I just, you know, it's testament. You've got to stay in this game for a long time, a long time, and the vibes that you put out, you shall receive back, mm-hmm. right? So listen, I'm very not, much agree with that. I'm, I'm not pretending that people don't slag me off behind my back. Of course, people will have done over the years, right? But by and large, people that I respect, we're good, right? We're good. You know, I've always tried to put out for people. I've always tried to make it as little about me. It's about a scene. It's about mm. building a scene. And yes. I think some of the DJs never really got that. Mm. It was about them, about their mm. branding. And then getting mm. money for shows, right? I think I, th- I think you I think you're absolutely right, Nahal. And you, you you said early on as well that it's um, trying to you wanted to build a scene, and that was the most important thing. And in some cases, you kind of you almost need to kill people with kindness as well to an extent, and kind of combat the that kind of the people that are. are t- get too big for their boots or some people want to try and rub you up the wrong way or anything like that. And you've just got to almost step back and, and be as humble as possible about it. And, and talking about doing it for the scene, obviously 
2002 rolls around and you partnered up with Bobby Friction and uh, for the Asian Beat Show on Radio 1. Absolutely massive time for British Asians. Um, the scene was developing then as well, but then also at the same time to hear two brown people on Radio 1 uh, co- on the commercial airwaves was was unbelievable. And obviously the show ended up winning a Sony Gold Award as well. So you became a central platform for, for emerging artists, Asian artists. How did it feel to be almost responsible for that music and the fact that if your music was played on your show, it was potentially going to go somewhere? Yeah, I mean, I have mixed feelings about what we achieved. I have very mm. mixed feelings because, you know, it kept, it kept, coming and going Mm. right i think that when i look back on those 12 years i was there i can't remember i think i was there for a certain time with bobby and then and then radio one wanted me to do the show on my own Mm. um it it i don't know like there was this amazing time with jay sean and ragev yeah, that was mad. That and and then US hip hop artists putting Bollywood mm. Timberland all over yeah. Bollywood. Yeah. Samples. Like the two thousand and three to two thousand and six. Mm. Yeah, that kind of time, yeah. like Black Eyed Peas and yeah. and yeah. Um, Method Man and Red Man, and there was this Bollywood samples everywhere, yeah. right? Yeah, and it was it was strong. It was good, but the problem was, I think. Bollywood and Bhangra to a certain extent was that the Bhangra scene largely was run like a, a corner shop. Like mm-hmm. it, it, the, the artists didn't get paid properly and yeah. it was all just a bit like the Wild West. Yeah, um, well, it was. Yeah, it was, very much like it was just kind of hard. There was some, some exceptions, you know. Um, Raja Envy Records, I had a very good working relationship with. Uh, mm. DJ Vips sadly now passed away at VIP yeah, Records yeah. was fantastic to mm. deal with. Really got it, was really on it. Um, but it was hard, you know, it was really hard because it was an Asian music show, not an not an Asian person show. So if you were mm. Asian and you were just doing straight R and B, that wasn't we weren't going to play your music. Like if there was nothing yeah. Asian in your music. If it was an, if you're an R&B artist, then hopefully Trevor Nelson would have played you. Mm, yeah. And if it didn't, it didn't. Mm. But with us, it had to have an Asian musical influence to it. Yeah, it, it was, wasn't going to play it just because you're Asian. No, you're because it, I think because it was Asian music. Yeah, because yeah, that's yeah. kind of racism, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of inverted version of well, we'll we'll only play. So an Asian person turns up and does an R&B song, we'll play you because you're Asian. But if a white person turns up, mm. we're not going to play you because yeah. you're not Asian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, it puts right. you in a very difficult situation. Whereas yeah. when you do an Asian beat show, it meant you mm. can play Chemical Brothers and mm. Black Eyed Peas and yes. Method Man and Red Man because it's people that are using the music. But then equally, of course, you're going to play the Asian artists that are doing Mumsy Strangers and mm. Sona Family and uh, yeah. Nitin Sawney and a mm. whole mixture of different artists. But there just seemed to be, if I look back on it, a kind of wall around us. And it was so hard to penetrate into, it's so hard for the drum and bass artists that we played to, to get their music played in the drum and bass scene or the yeah. rappers to get love in UK hip hop scene. Mm. It was so hard. 
you know, yeah. and I was the only one really with the connections to be able to do that. So when I did, after Bobby left and I bought like Bourbon in the booth, right? So Bourbon wasn't my name. Some people hated it. Some people liked it. Shizio was the guy that wanted to come up with this. And I said, mm. listen, if you want it, then I'll call it that. And, you know, I put Riz MC and Childish Gambino together, right? Oh, wow. To do, uh, if you've never seen it, it's on YouTube. Check it out. It's crazy. You know, I brought them in a room yeah. together to rap. Crazy. You know, and we, and my purpose was to bring black MCs or white MCs together with Asian rappers to do mm. a collabo live on the show. I'd send yeah. them the beat a week beforehand. They'd come up with bars. They, and for me, it was about building bridges. You know, at the London yeah. Mela, the stage we had, I brought on Steel Bangles with Youngen and Krepton Conan to a Mela. Yeah. Mm. you know we could do those things because I was trying to build bridges between the scenes but it was hard because I think from an urban perspective a black music or rap perspective I'm just not sure Asians were regarded to be real right I, I just think that there was a mm. disconnect right yeah. you know almost a kind of weird racism ah oh, you stay in your lane it, it does feel that way exactly yeah, right? yeah it kind I, of I felt like that didn't feel it? That. That. definitely feel that yeah you know, and sometimes you see those YouTube comments under when, when they've done a daily dappy an Asian rapper or something, and someone will say something about a corner shop or something about mm. curry. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And it That's disappoints me because sometimes it's another person of color saying yeah. that about an yeah. Asian kid, and you're like, really? You, like, you know what, Nahal is is it's such a great point because um, you know racism exists, and of course it exists obviously between white and brown people, but a lot of the a lot of the, in quotes, racism I felt had been from other brown people saying, I don't conform to their standards of a brown person. Yeah, And that's course. almost more painful. Well, I discovered this, Mac, when I went to the Asian Network. You know, I, when I went to the Asian Network, and considering I'd grown up, because we were such a small community of Asians, we all knew each other. We didn't care mm. if you were Sikh or Muslim or whatever. Mm. We didn't care. Come on the Asian network, and suddenly I'm coming across colorism, casteism, yeah. Sikh Hindu, Hindu Muslim, Sikh Muslim, Muslim mm. Hindu. Like I was like, what is wrong? You, with you actually people? brought this up, didn't you, Nahal? I, I think you were doing. You were on a panel at Middlesex University or something. I, I caught the video for that, and you you bring up that point exactly. That you were at a gig, and Imran Khan was performing. No, I tell you what is this? This was Punjabi hit squad. Punjabi Hit Squad were DJing at a club and they played Amplifier and this some Sikhs yeah. came over and said, turn that Paki music off. Unbelievable. I mean, I mean Unbelievable. That, if a white person came up and said, turn that racist epithet word off, like because someone played a Stormzy track, yeah. everyone yeah. would freak out. Whoa, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Are you mad? <laughs> like probably get beaten up, thrown out the club. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, the racism that exists between Asian communities and that's what I did on my phone in show, man. I was straight up about it. I was like, what are you people doing? Yeah. What is wrong with you? Like, no wonder it's so man. easy to divide and rule. Yeah. And I think it's I mean, worse in your generation than it was in mine. I think it's It, it was. I mean, growing up in Bradford <laughs> ourselves, I mean, obviously pre predominantly Pakistani community in Bradford. Yeah. There's obviously quite a large Indian Punjabi community as well. But you, you saw it then. There was, it was weird because there was a togetherness because you were all the same colour. So when it came up against 
white people, it was more like, oh, we're, we're Asians, we're Apane, they would call it. The, we would all be together. But, yeah. but between Indians and Pakistanis, there was that kind of um, friction, it definitely, let's say. It goes, um, it goes deeper as well, doesn't it, Chans? I mean, yeah. it's, it's uh, like you, you say, Nahal, then, it, then, it, then all of a sudden you think you're this country's dividing people. And then within those countries, there's also divisions. Within religions, there's also divisions. Your caste isn't right. Your way of worshipping isn't right. It's different to my way of worshipping. And then the intra-racism between cultures that are supposed to be the same is really, really kind of devastating for communities because if we aren't going to respect ourselves between us, then how are we going to get an outsider to respect us? That's always been my question is you want respect from less, you know, white people or other people out there, but, but you don't respect plus, your own people. Plus divide and rule. Look how Tommy Robinson tried yeah. to appeal to certain sections of the Sikh and Hindu communities. Yeah. Yeah. Because he felt like I could exploit their hatred of Muslims. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 and he yeah, tried and he tried to do that. And he succeeded in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. He succeeded. The fact that it was so apparent that he could do it yeah. is, is, is something wrong in yeah. itself. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I know. The fact that he could work that out, it was like, oh, okay, these guys hate each other. All mm-hmm. right. Partition, Mughal yeah. Empire. I'm gonna I'm gonna start exploiting all this, you know, um, yeah. love jihad and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. They they were just Doing that, and I, I, I have to say, with the Asian Network, you know that phone-in show. I won mad amount of awards for that phone-in show. Mm, absolutely, it, it was all because, you know, they'd never heard anyone like me mm. tell them about themselves. Mm. I, th- right? I, I think, I think the debates on that show were were fantastic, and you did it for for a number of years. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll definitely touch on that. Cool. Um, but but before that, I just want to stick on. Um, the show with with Bobby Friction. Obviously, you guys, yourselves as individuals, you brought something the same but slightly different. Obviously, you were both uh, under this Asian umbrella and you wanted to promote Asian beats. And But for yourself, especially, I mean, obviously, Bobby Friction, he was more the Desi Beat side. He was a DJ that came through um, from uh, from London and he he had that connect. But with with you, it was, pr- it was about promoting Asian beats but on a on a global level, South Asians on a global level, let's say, because I personally discovered music like Outlandish and Nit and Sone and Budmarsh and Shiri and Asian Dumb Foundation, all them kind of guys through your show, and that was what I believe was a lot of your influence in the kind of music that you was listening to. So was it important for you to bring through on that show global South Asians and what they were doing and how they were were creating music? Because all we knew at the time was. British Asians. And because the hip hop scene within British Asian was so small, it was just Bhangra music really that yeah. we had. And we had the, yeah, we had the Rishi Rich Times and the Raghav, which was the slightly fusion side of things. Yeah, but yeah. was it important for you to, to take it on a global scale and, and show people what, what yeah, was out there? to build a movement across the world. And that's why um, Iraj and Ranidu in Sri Lanka, uh, Humble the Poet in Canada, yeah. God, any number of uh, Bohemia, in America, you know, it was a movement, right? We had to just go, okay, there was um, Talal Qureshi in Pakistan. There was a a group of people that we were just thinking, we we want to be the the guiding force, really, Mm. of that. We we understood there are 20 million Indians outside of India, 20 Mm. million outside of India, right? 
and then then Pakistanis and Bangladeshis and Sri Lankans. Hmm. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to hear great music, man. Yeah. And because I don't speak Urdu, Punjabi, Hindi, it was a I was always listening to the songs, the melodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, not necessarily what they were saying. No. It was just the music, wasn't uh, it? And the music. music and their flow. Like flow, I can tell a yeah. rap flow in whatever language you're, you're, yeah, you're absolutely. speaking. So I just wanted to, yeah, make it a global, global movement. You know, Bobby and I are very different people, mm-hmm. right? We don't, you know, it, we don't really talk anymore you know mm. we don't really um we we were put together by radio one we weren't friends beforehand yeah. and we we stuck it out for uh as long as we could and then radio one thought it was more appropriate that i stayed on doing the asian beat show yeah uh and he i think went to asian network asian network that's right yeah um but i always had my eyes were always on maybe a bigger prize it was always about mainstream for me mm. For me, I didn't want to be a big fish in an Asian pond. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to swim with the sharks in the sea. Yeah. That's what I wanted. Right. Mm. And remember, by the time I got to Radio One, I'd already worked with most Def and Elton John. I knew mm. about the big world of music yeah. and the music industry. I knew about the power of networking, having that network, that mm. understanding. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, Bobby and I. We had some good times, Bobby and I. We DJed in different. We had some stories and that, but fundamentally, we wanted two very different things. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, we had. Yeah, I think you see that now, don't you? I mean, obviously, you had to orchestrate your careers in such a way, or, or you orchestrated your career in such a way that you, you've gone more down the the talk show route, and it obviously shows how different you are, and by the shows that you're doing now, how how what and, the, and yeah, what you I just to wanted pursue. to be, I. Like I said, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a big fish in a little pond. Yeah. Right. Like I, I think, I think that having names like mine, Nihal Arthanaika, sitting in the middle of a daytime schedule in a big BBC radio station, does a lot for, Absolutely. for, for mainstreaming Asian culture. Mm. Right. And now that Nagamanchetti is before me, you've got two mm. Asians yeah. on Five Live. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's great to be on Asian Network. And I wouldn't be on Five Live if it wasn't for Asian Network. There is no yeah. question that the things no. I learned speaking to that amazing audience on the mm. Asian Network have given me so much strength and knowledge to be able to do what I do today on Five Live. Yeah. It's, uh, I just wouldn't, it was impossible. But, there comes a point where you say to yourself, what do you want to be? You know, who do you want to be? Like, mm. you know, a, about a month ago, Ricky Gervais's, like Ricky Gervais, right? Mm. 11 mm. million Twitter followers. His yeah. PRs get in contact with my show and say, Ricky likes Nihal, he wants to come on the show. And my, wow. and, and my team go, oh, has he got a book to sell? Is it, has he got a TV? No, 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 he just wants to come hang yeah, out with Nihal on the radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he just wants to be. <laughs> He, now this is Ricky Gervais. He could, yeah, his absolutely. people could ring up Radio One, mm. Radio Two, yeah. Radio Four. He could, they could go on any show, right? Absolutely. He could go on Heart FM, but he's that big. He could come on this podcast if he wanted to. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's probably like, right. You know, he but, could go anywhere, <laughs> but exactly. But he wanted to come and hang out with me. Now, yeah. 
no disrespect to the Asian artists, but I could do that all day long. Mm. Yeah. Right? Mm. Speak to Jay mm. Sean again or speak to, mm. it's cool, right? But when you're on that, we had, I had Hugh Bonneville on the show, right? Who's, you know, he's a big actor, Downton Abbey. Yeah. At the end of the interview, he went, mm. he went, oh, I love your show. I can't, I can't actually believe I'm on it. And you're like, wow. you're just this Asian kid. From yeah. I'm not a kid anymore, but I'm, I was an Asian <laughs> kid, grew up in Essex. Yeah. And, I'm, and we've taken it to this level where an wow. Asian can, because I want young brothers like you to go, mm. I can do anything. Mm. Yeah. Like, I can do anything. And I'm not saying people should, should, should use Asian Network as a bouncing, because some people will be really happy. I'm sure Bobby's happy being at Asian Network for however yeah. many years he's been and however many years he, more he will be. I'm sure he's happy with that. Mm. But that wasn't for me, man. Like, I, there was always a thing that... I you get the feeling there's always something more. There was always, always. There was more outside Asian Network. I mean, I, I agree with you that a lot of people probably see are very comfortable within a certain bubble, whatever it may be, whether it's the yeah. Asian Network or whatever platform they're in, even one extra. Some people are happy within that. Yeah. That lane and almost feel as if because they identify with a certain culture, they almost feel like a sense of belonging to that particular network or something like that, which, yeah, for sure. which is a, probably a topic in itself. So when, so Bobby left and you continued for Radio One and you were probably one of the very few or one of the very, the only people to actually have an evening music show as well as doing daytime mm. uh, yeah. programs on Radio One as well, filling in or having yeah. your own show on there as well, which it, which definitely is um, is something to um, to not turn your nose up at. That's that's fantastic. But then you did go to Asian Network after that. So just going off what you were saying, and you wanted more, and not saying that Asian Network is uh, is a step down. But did it feel like you were kind of going off on a tangent or a different direction to what you wanted nah, to continue so, on? So to use the footballing analogy, right? Basically, a bit of football, don't we? Yeah, we do. I went off into the championship to get playing time, mm. right? So what I did was, whereas I would have been slightly on the bench at Radio 1, yeah. Yeah. my plan was to do speech radio, and that would be either Radio 4 or Radio 5 Live. But I wasn't going to get an opportunity to do speech on Radio mm. 1 because there isn't any speech on Radio 1. Yeah. So I threw myself into, and my wife was brilliant on this because she was like, look, do this. Take on Asian Network full time, right? to learn how to do speech. I was like, yeah, makes total sense. So basically I went to the championship mm. to play 90, 90 minutes on the pitch every day. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Right? That's what I did. So Which, you went on loan, didn't you? Yeah, yeah that kind exactly. of thing, yeah. I just did a loan spell. Time. So, mm. so I did that whilst all the time I did, in that time I did documentaries for Radio 4, I did yep. television, did. I did all kinds of things, right? Mm. So I was still doing stuff but my eye was always on a different prize yeah and i'd be lying if i said it was hard so i left radio one in 2014 and mm. i joined i joined five live in 2016 but on 2012 i took on a new agent who i'm no longer with but we still could we're still cool mm. And I said to him in 2012, so two years before I left Radio 1, I said, your job is to plan an exit strategy from Radio 1. Because I could see the end was coming, mm. guys, right? Like I was in my 30s. I knew that 
if they had to do any changes, the Asian Beach Show would be the one that would go. Yeah. Because there's a whole Asian network and yeah, it, they, there was no commit. We were, I don't know, stuck in midnight or whenever it was. Yeah. I can't even remember what the last slot yeah, was. Yeah, it got pushed back into into the, the graveyard shift really, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so, so I saw the end coming. I knew it. Yeah. You know, and I have done throughout my career. So I just was like, okay, let's plan this. And, you know, I had to make a sacrifice. I had to leave London and move to Manchester. Mm. And that's not to dis-, dis Manchester, but once you've been in London for 20 years, all your friends are there, your network, your family. Mm. Yeah. It's a big thing. You have to take yeah. your kids out of school, put them in new schools. Mm. So I, I made that sacrifice, you know, and I ended up, um, being a co-presenter on a show called Afternoon Edition. So I moved mm-hmm. up to Five Live. And it was like the BBC were giving me a gift, doing me a massive favour. Mm. Yeah. And I almost went there with a bit of a begging bowl. Mm. That was the trade-off. I said, look, if you give me the right show, don't put me at 10 p.m. on a Monday night. If you mm. give me a show in the daytime, I'll move. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'll move. And they did. But they gave me a co-presenting gig on a show that didn't have my name on it. And within two years, that changed. Three years, that changed. And it became my own show called Nihal mm. Arthur Nyaka on Daytime Absolutely. Five Live. Well, and, that, and your name's on the schedule now, one yeah. o'clock prime afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You slot. switch in your DAB Fantastic. in your car yeah, and it yeah. will come yeah. up this, yeah. this mad foreign sounding name. <laughs> right? Right? Absolutely. So, And it, it's no longer either side of and and presents you know yeah. what i mean it was it was your full name and it represented you and it's Me. exactly what you wanted to do and i think there's a a very important message there that in some situations the the road to where you want to go is not direct nor is it handed to you you sometimes have to take a step back in order to move sideways and, and go off in a different direction it's i, I think that's in it extremely important message and, I, and I'm glad that you also mentioned about your television gigs during the time because you hosted on MTV as well the drop which yeah. is extremely important because it's yeah. it's not like Nahal is Mr BBC you did other things yeah. as well you was you was on MTV but but you you was on BBC2 with Desi DNA you did a couple of seasons yes. there which yeah. I think is important to mention because it came at a time where everybody was identifying at the time British Asian music British Asian culture was really popular it was just after goodness gracious me and there was a lot of music coming through and you 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 interviewed some fantastic people padma lakshmi uh, uh dj patan and and various other scandalous jay sean like you said as well and i think that's also important that you also developed your television personality as well and and, and showed yourself on that medium look at the three presenters of that and look what we've all gone on to do yeah 100% adil ray, adil ray anita yeah, rani, rani and me right yeah and we've yeah. all gone full mainstream, right? Mm, absolutely. You know, and that's a testament to kind of the BBC, right? The BBC mm. and the guys who did that, Tommy Nagra, who did that, you know, at Desi DNA and said, all right, we'll pick these three guys because we weren't known then. Mm. We weren't known back then. And now look what we've got to do. Me with my own mainstream five live show, Adil Ray with Citizen Khan and, and, and the game show that he does, Anita yeah, Rani, yeah. Country File, and um, yeah. her own. Uh, woman's hour on a friday right really? this country file anita rani uh, brown face from yeah. bradford as yeah, well it's, it's, it's insane man it's insane it's, it's great file. what you're saying Nahal, it's great i really like love listening to what you're saying about wanting more and wanting to be swimming with the sharks because i think it's really convenient 
for Asian people to go, other Asian people like this, and we're in this this little pool, so let's just kind of stay there and all just swim around each other forever where there is this huge ocean out there that we are yeah. just as worthy to be in and we shouldn't have to stop who we are. Like if, if, if being British Asian and that culture is not for you, then there's a whole ocean out there and it's about what you want to swim in. That's, that's a really important point you make though because I'm not saying that you shouldn't stay in that pool. Right. Yeah. Because if you are happy mm. to do that, I don't mm. think that makes you any less of a person. No, absolutely not. Um, but what I what I do think is important is that you shouldn't be imprisoned in that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I felt at times that I was being imprisoned in that. That yeah. it was like, oh, stay in your lane. Mm. Um, and I, I wasn't really down with that. I wasn't. So if someone wants to come through on the BBC Asian Network, which is an amazing station. Um, and stay there, and they're happy to stay there. That's cool. My worry is, and where I have a problem, is if you want to, if you if you want to use it to get your experience to go on to do other things, and no one will let you. They'll say like, mm. "Oh no, you're that Asian kid. Mm. Carry on doing that Asian stuff." Or, or, you know, you're someone who grew up listening to dance, or when someone comes up and asks you, "What do you think of Good Last Man?" and you're like, "Well, I don't know." <laughs> you see what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> So they're the kind of things that concern me. You know, I've done some. I'm, I'm on House of Games next week. Oh um, wow! At Richard great. Osman's game show. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, on great, that, uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm on that every day next week on BBC Two. Brilliant. I think it is right. Yeah. At tea time in people's living rooms, like crazy, right? Yeah. Crazy yeah. stuff. Mainstreaming stuff. Um, you know, I got a book deal last year, so I'm right. I'm trying to write a book at the moment. Um, with one of the biggest publishing houses in the country, if not the world. So with all of these things, we're just, and I say that not to boast. I say that to say, if you're young and Asian, be ambitious. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Right? Be ambitious. Right? I think that's a really important message. Yeah, just just don't. I genuinely feel that you're only as, because look, I'm, 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 I'm here to to pave the way and at some point step aside. Mm. Like I'm not, I'm not jealous of you if you're coming for me. If you're mm. coming for me, come. Mm. I want you to come for me mm. because I want you to feel as though you can do what I did. Yeah. So I'm not going to be here forever. I've got to move aside at some point and let yeah, one of you yeah, brothers absolutely. or sisters just come through and do your thing. Mm -hmm. I want to see as many of us as possible coming through. The generation be perhaps before me found it more difficult to feel comfortable doing that yeah. because they perhaps had to fight a lot harder. Yeah. Uh, I found it a little bit easier, but still mm. it was difficult. Um, mm. But I was always good at networking with people. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I was always good at building a network of people and bringing them together and doing different things and having a different flex, which meant that, you know, having a network is so important, man. I can't yeah. tell you how important it is I agree. right to build a build a team around you you know it's so important to nothing should ever be more than two phone calls away mm -hmm. right and you're only ever going to get that by getting out there meeting people putting it in right we put in a lot of stuff for free in early days you know to get paid at some point you know, but even now, I'm about to do a podcast, hopefully, for the Science Museum. They've asked for me to do it. Wow. 
It's for the Science Museum. Amazing. Mm. Freddie Flintoff called me, sent me a text. Now, Freddie Flintoff mm. is famous, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course right, he is. Right? All over TV gear. now, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sent me a text saying, I want to do a podcast with you. Amazing. Right? That's mad, isn't it? <laughs> is it? I mean, inspirational. If you, if it's you, inspirational. If you just isolate that, that Freddie, Freddie Flintoff message, you say, I want to do a podcast with you. That's just, it's just, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still, ga- I'm still gassed about Ricky Gervais. So it is, like, I was going to say, right? The Ricky Gervais thing is <laughs> yeah. mad, right? Yeah. The Ricky Gervais thing is mad. Like I DM'd him afterwards and he went, I'm still buzzing, mate. Brilliant. Like, this is the guy that presents the Golden Globes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Like, exactly. This is the guy that the piss out of everyone there. Well. The Golden Globes at Umbridge. This is the guy roasting Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> yeah, yeah, when he's in yeah. the room. <laughs> and he's messaging me going, can't come on your show. <laughs> <laughs> me and Amazing. you, like Asians here, we're yeah, doing this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, we, yeah. des- we deserve, Lenny Henry said this, which I think is really good. He said, we don't want to be at the kids' table. Mm. We want to be at the grown-ups' table. Yeah, we want to be yeah. eating with the grown-ups. Yeah. So that's that's how it can be. Listen, I'm just here to provide. I'm here to do things for my family and myself and my own career, but I'm also here to provide a direction of travel for anyone yeah. that wants to to do it. Oh yeah, pave the way. Pave the yeah. way. Yeah. Just sure. to just to just to do it, you know. And I'm mm. not I'm not insecure about the people behind me because mm. I know how good I am. Mm. Right? But there'll come a point where I'll be too old or I'll swear or something or do something will get me fired and then it'll be someone else's <laughs> time, right? No. Not one Pete. Not two Pete. It's the three Pete. So Nahal, this is the part of the show where we ask you what are the three tracks that you could play on repeat over and over again. It can be absolutely any genre, any song, anywhere, anytime, anything, absolutely anything. So what is your first three Pete? Homelands. By Nithin Sawney from the album Beyond Skin. What an, what an amazing album! Massive, I mean, come on, tune. come on. Um, the opening strings are so sad. Mm. They are just evocative and emotional, mm. dark. And how he mixes Indian classical, Western yep. classical, flamenco. Yeah, is exactly just what I was going to say. Spanish flamenco Indian yeah. rag fusion I know you really get that you get lost in the composition of the oh, whole thing absolutely I mean the guy is a genius like mm-hmm. a genius and I was lucky enough to work on that album yes as a PR for Outcast yeah. Records so I know Nithin I've known Nithin for 20 odd years and he just astounds me you know, just, and the runtime for that song is like six minutes, but oh, it doesn't feel like it. You get so lost. You do it, get lost it, in it. It could be two minutes or six minutes. You yes. just don't know where you are once that, you're yes. at the end. You know what I love about that is that's not that's not a track. That's music. Yeah, like yes. you know, pure music. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's yeah. music in its purest sense, and yeah. that's very rare to to get those. You know, there's there's bangers every everywhere. There's heartfelt songs everywhere, but to get a piece of music reminds you of like. The Mozarts and the people who compose music—they're not yeah, making songs; they're composing music. He's that guy. Yeah. He's that guy. He's I mean, this guy. is a guy that does, you know, works with um, dancers and film mm. scores and yeah. artists and rappers and. Si- I mean, the guy is a genius. Mm. Like I keep saying it, but it's to be in his 
in his sphere is just extraordinary. You know, he's yeah. just a, a great guy, you know, in every way. And that song I can listen to, I've listened to that song thousands of times. Yeah. And it never, ever, ever bores yes, me. Music. Pure, pure, music, pure music is timeless, isn't it? Isn't it 21 years old? Yeah, skin? 21, yeah, ni- yeah, 99. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 22 years old this year, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Amazing. Crazy, right? That's, you know, that's older than some of the artists that are... Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That I'm into oh yeah. Definitely. Moment, right? <laughs> and yeah, he and and he's just yeah. I mean that that song for me. He knows it as well because I wax lyrical about it. I, I think when I was doing six music <laughs> breakfast once, I played it. Wherever I get a free play, I've always played yeah, that song because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just just so, big boots to follow here on the yeah, second one. No. What 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 we saying now? What's the what's the second one? Well, I think you know Getz's album came out recently. And yeah. people talk about Getz as being the MC's MC. And for this mm-hmm. generation, it is, right? It's your favorite MC's MC is Getz. Yeah. 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 But I think for my generation, a lot of people will talk about Rakim. Yeah. yeah. People talk about Nas, but Rakim came before Nas. Yes. Yeah. And the things Rakim could do with words are just extraordinary. <laughs> and while I could have picked a load of Eric B and Rakim records, I picked this from the movie Juice. It's called Know mm. the Ledge. Yeah. Two-pack movie. Yeah. Yeah. Largely because that double bass at the start of it. And when he just goes, sip the juice, and the beat comes in, you're like, yeah. it's like chaos in your ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, what the fuck just happened to me? Yeah. Right? Yes. Right. And there are a number of tracks like Straight Out of Compton or... Um, Public Enemy number one, and it's Welcome to Terradome, Fight the Power. There's a load of Public Enemy yeah. records. You could say the same thing of Get Your Freak On, um, where these beats and things and, and the drop, you're just like, yeah, 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 there's yeah. something about. I always remember that track because Zane Lowe, who's now at Apple, but was formerly at Radio One, used to do this thing called a Versus, where he'd invite yeah. other DJs to come in and we'd have a sound clash live on his show. And I remember that was one of my tracks, and he played it. And the first like eight bars or whatever, he and I rapped word for word <laughs> over the track live on Radio One. I think so it's safe to say he lost that sound clash there. Well, didn't he? no, I mean, he, he, I mean, listen, Zane Lowe's knowledge of music is extraordinary, but it was, oh, it, but he said to me, that track that you picked was up. Yeah. It's just that thing. Sip the juice. I've got enough to go around. It takes place uptown. I grew up on the sidewalk. Well, those street talk and they're talking all New York. And you're like, <laughs> I, you're just like, dum, 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 and it's going all the way through it. And you're just like, and the video is amazing. Yeah, the way yeah. they're styled with those big goose jackets with the big parkers yeah, with the yeah. big hoods. That that's 30 years old as well. That's what we're talking about here, right? Bro, we, this, but that you was, rock that, that now. That's culture defining. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. You, you walk around looking like that now. I think he had like a flat cap on. And a big Parker on, yeah, and yeah, he just yeah. looked like knocking, knocking out. Like he, the way yeah. he just <laughs> delivered those rhymes, it was gangster. That song, man. That's one of those songs. That's one one of those songs where you're almost waiting to fight someone in a club. Yeah. You're waiting for him to step <laughs> on your shoes for you to go bang like this on someone. That's yeah, for real. That's why I like grime and drill. Yeah, you know yeah. yes. that's why I don't because the music that I liked, the hip hop music I liked, was Aggie music, mm, mm, right? Yeah. It was it was that music that made you. This wasn't lovey dovey hip hop. This no, wasn't the no. kind yeah, of yeah, tribe yeah, called yeah. Quest kind yeah. of hip hop. This wasn't the backpacker hip hop. This was the hood hip hop. 
It was yeah. that kind of music that was really aggy. Like it yeah, was, yeah, it yeah. was, you're stepping on my trainers, we're fighting kind of music. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like when uh, Tupac Hit Em Up came out. Yeah. I remember, I remember saying to everyone, first off, fuck your bitch to everyone. I didn't even know him. I was just ready to, I was ready to go. That <laughs> must have been interesting at family weddings. But, um, the, the interesting thing was about, about that, that was why I really got into, you know, when I mm. first heard One Hunter by Fredo, mm. I was like, mm. or, or Bobby Schmurder. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You hear those records and you're just like, okay, they, that, there is a direct line. Or No Better by Heady One. When I first heard No mm. Better by Heady One, I was like, this is so dark. Yeah. Like, so is, dark. We, we often spoke about this, me, me and Mac. It's, it's crazy. You get a lot of artists these days, especially on the UK grime and drill scene and UK hip-hop, as we call it now as well, that some, you know, won't stand the test of time. They're, they're just kind of dipping in and out and they're okay yeah. in the music. After a year, it won't last. But you get your people like, like your Freddos and your Heady Ones and your Daves, like that, who are actually making really anthems. thoughtful. They're making anthems. Um, but yeah, so I like, that's why even for a guy my age, I'm listening to these songs now and I'm like, yeah, I feel that. Like that, that see, Freddo album the, is superb. Yeah, yeah, you can see where it comes from, can't you? So yeah, how there's, 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 there's a the line, good straight line pieces, back to, yeah, those, yeah. to those heroes 100%. of hip hop. 100%. You know, you hear those songs. I, I did, at first, I didn't really feel anything for drill. I, I, I just thought mm-hmm. that. I just thought it was a, a blip in in music at the time. But then creep through like your heady ones and your nines and all them kind of boys, and you think, hang on, there's there's a lot, there's something in it here. If people can flow like that, unbelievable. Yeah, but look at, I mean, look at someone like K-Coke. I mean, his flow is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Now, his lyricism is unbelievable. Rex Street yeah. too. Reg Free oh, Two is Rich. one of my favourites, man. Yeah, I love his stuff. Not, I love his stuff, man. I think it. Uh, I think with Rich, some of his stuff was initially quite like you think, oh, it's a bit commercially. I don't know how I feel about Fractor, him. And then, yeah. Then yeah. yeah, and then you you saw his fire in the booth, and you were like, hang on, this um, guy, this yeah. guy. It's um, still, it's still. You know what? I know, I know. When he did that, Charlie Sloth was like, "There's no one that's going to do something better." And 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 like, this is just my opinion, but. Between him and Akala, you don't mess with their fire in the booths. Yeah. Ever. No. Ever. Oh, well. I, but also K-Cokes. Yeah. K-Cokes also, K-Cokes was the one I think before, which did millions of views. It's still one mm. of the most viewed ones, K-Cokes mm. one. You know, ridiculous. The amount of views did. You know, really should, really should. Huge. Huge yeah. tunes are huge. They're two massive three-peat tunes already. Well, we had two, three, four, five, six in there, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. About what we listened to, but... Right. Okay. We we should do the third three, Pete. What's uh, what's your third and final Nahal? Well, weird coincidence, but it's my wife just walked in, and she always said this is a song that reminds her of us. Right? It's Gravity, the acoustic mix of that by mm. DJ Fresh, featuring Ella L. Yeah. Vocal. Vocals unbelievable. I'm so and glad you chose the acoustic version really? now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you know what? It's the acoustic version is something different. It's something else, isn't it? You, the, the acoustic version took that song and made it like, oh my god, this is something else, rather than it being just another one of that genre. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And um, I'm, I don't think she's going to like me saying this, but I once on a Valentine's Day or on our anniversary day. I got the label to send me the acoustic version because I didn't know it existed. 
So I asked the label to get it for me and send it to me. And I sat in our car outside our house and I just played it. And she just burst into tears. It was such a beautiful kind of moment and it's such a beautiful song. And it's a song that I know whenever she's heard, she's thought of us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it's specifically about how I see her. So for me, it's just like, a, a, yeah, a, a, I thought I can listen to that track. The strange thing is, though, if it's a track that you could say I was on a desert island, I'd have to be with her. Otherwise, it would be too heartbreaking to listen to it without yeah. her being there. Yeah. So, yeah. so that would you know, be very You know what's really cool? You're, you're no. a romantic unit, huh? Yeah. No, not, <laughs> you know what, bro? Like, I'm not, I'm going to be real with you. I'm not, I haven't been as good about it. The, the longer I've been married, the shitter I've been at it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I need to, I need to up my that. game. Like, like, this year, I need to be much better at it. Yeah. You know what's, you know what's great about the three peat there, Mac is Nahal's picked three songs that that tell a specific story in in time almost yeah. as well. Like yeah. we've got we've got the Knit and Sony. Obviously, your mm. career you worked on that album. You it said something about the time nineteen ninety nine. All that was going on when you were working with Outcast Records, and then you've got Eric B, uh, Eric B and Rakim, Juice, mm. early nineties when you were up and coming when you were mm-hmm. with your crews, and it said something about you at that time. It represents that moment in time, and then obviously. DJ Fresh and Ella Air, Gravity. This is telling the story of your your marriage in such an important time in your life now. And you obviously have a beautiful family and it it almost reflects that and it it's it's that within that music. I think I think it's the making of uh, of a fantastic three Pete. I think a, what do you what do you reckon? It's it's a brilliant three. You know what the word that comes to mind when I think of this three Pete is heritage. Mm. You know, we're talking about we're talking about people and, and music, not just tracks. And that's what I like about it. It's music. It's things that have paved the way. You can look at, especially the Rakim Eric B thing. And like we're talking about drill, I see the direct dot from here to there. And, and you know, Homeland, you see cl- someone who's gone classical music, composition, appreciation for different styles and different genres and different worldly music and being able to have the creativity to pull that together and the final track something that's heartfelt to you and again an acoustic version for me is always stronger because it takes real musicians to make acoustic music you, do you know it's a, it's a, you see a live band play it makes a song right it because, does because you then realize how good the song is when you exactly. stick all the beats away yeah. and the production yeah. away and everything and you just put it as an acoustic song the bones does it work or bones. Not? exactly yeah. does it work and, or and not? And so that's what I love about this is it's heritage, it's lineage, it's realness. It's about people with a craft and people putting that craft for other people to take forward. And all of those three songs do that. They're, they're milestones in musical history. And that's yeah. what makes it so important. Oh, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you like the tracks, brothers. I'm really glad you do. Really so the final question of the show, Nahal. We ask you, it can, you can be either, you can be both, but let us know, are you roots or rhymes? When I started this conversation, it was rhymes all day long. Because, of course, hip-hop has been a massive part of my life. Absolutely. But as we've gone through this conversation, where are we without our roots? Mm. Right? Where are we without the roots of what brings us to the place we are? So in many mm. ways, it's such a tough because a lot of people you get on this show perhaps haven't had as much of an investment in rhymes as mm-hmm. I've had throughout my life. 
So I'm genuinely torn between the two things. The reason I speak on the radio and the reason that I can speak quite eloquently, sometimes at speed, bringing words in, riffing off different words, is all down to rhymes. It's all down mm -hmm. to the fact that I was a freestyler and a battle mm -hmm. MC. It's because of that. It's because I can do that. And my part of hip hop, bearing in mind that hip hop has given me everything, was rhymes. Mm. So in that respect, it's all about rhymes, right? It's all about rhymes because it's all about hip hop. And Roots, even though I love Quest Love and Black Thought and <laughs> I know it's not that roots, but, yes. uh, but um, it can be that roots because it's the roots and, uh, yeah. and rhymes. Is that I think Mac definitely I'm with you, yes, on, brother on on rhymes because my the roots are intertwined around the rhymes. The rhymes, the rhymes are the roots. The rhymes yeah, are the, the roots are, for me. The rhymes are the roots in many ways. You're right. The rhymes are the roots for me. Remembering my mum walking around the house reciting poetry when I was a kid. Mm to me being on national radio. Yeah. Right. It's all linked. So that is a very long way of saying turns. Sorry, brother. It's going to be rhymes. No need to apologize at all. Nahal. You know what? I think, I think your story basically summer. Well, your, your analogy at the end summarizes your story um, on roots and rhymes. And I think there's an important message there is that even though you may lean towards one, I think one can't work without the other. Yeah. Yeah. Really like to thank you for being a part of the show today. It's been amazing for us. It's yeah. definitely. Post, uh, right? I think my yeah, Instagram was... post has led to, led to this, right? That's it, man. It's going to be. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So um, before, we, before we sign off, uh, Nahal, uh, this is your opportunity to plug uh, anything you've got going on. Let the, let the listeners know what you've been doing, what you're going to be doing, what you yeah. have been doing. BBC Radio 5 Live, 1 till 4, Mondays, Thursdays, the Penguin Podcast, where I interview the biggest authors from Penguin Books. Headliners Podcast, which are all the big interviews that I've done on my show, over yeah. 200 of those interviews. Wow. Done. I've got a book coming out next year. Uh, I'm on House of Games, Richard Osman uh, <laughs> coming up. And uh, man, I'm out here. Do you know what I mean? We're yeah. about it. We're about <laughs> it. We're just out here. We're just out here trying to make make things uh, make things happen. So yeah, long may it continue. Awesome, yeah, man. man. Yeah, long, long may it continue, man. Thank long may it continue. Thank you. We need, Thank we you. need that. Just, we need yeah. that trailblazer to, to help bring us all through, man. And you're doing that. Be job. ambitious, man. Be yeah. ambitious. Be ambitious and don't box yourself in. The UK is on red alert. As part of our commitment to the British Asian events industry, we're campaigning with We Make Events to help raise vital funds for those who can no longer work as a result of live events being cancelled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. You can help by donating using the link in the description of this podcast because together we can help make events again.